Good afternoon, and welcome to Who's in the Kitchen. I'm Philothea Beeson, and you're listening to WDRT Community Radio 91.9 FM, coming from Viroqua, Wisconsin, from the Driftless area, southwestern Wisconsin. And you can listen to shows um, podcasted on our archives at WDRT.org, and you can listen uh, streaming live on Saturdays at noon or just on your radio. We're on every Saturday noon, and the last Saturday of the month is my farming show called Digging Deep, and I hope you'll tune into that too. We've done four ser- four shows on the history of farming, but I promise you we won't do any more of that, <laughs> although that's been really fun to do, and you can always listen to podcasts about that. But now we're going to get into local farming and farming near and far, some of the challenges of farming in this day and age, what's possible, and uh, how it relates to the story of farming in the past. And so this is a show about food, which I've been doing, I think we're 11 years in, and still finding people in the Driftless area to talk about food, which is really lots of fun. So I have my guest today in the studio is Joseph Meyer. Hi, Joseph. Hello. And Joseph was on really not too long ago, but I wanted to have him on again because now we're getting, well, we're coming to the end of winter and what are we going to eat out of the fridge and the freezer and what's, what's at the grocery store these days? And I know Joseph is really into local food. So it's kind of a challenge when you live in Wisconsin to have local food in the middle of winter. So we're going to be talking about that. And Joseph and his partner live uh, between Seneca and Eastman, and they have a bed and breakfast called Latarna? Latarnia. Latarnia, excuse me. Latarnia, and it means lighthouse. And um, they were just telling me how excited they are that they just got a beautiful handmade sauna delivered. Just had a finished sauna. A finished sauna. Built here in Viroqua. That's so exciting to me because I'm looking for a sauna builder too, and that's really cool. So the, his soulful sauna, Joel Torino, is the builder. So that's kind of exciting. So you're you're ha- you're eager to get down we there are, and <laughs> try we are. out. <clears throat> oh, that's really fun. So um, and do you have a Finnish background? You were saying kind of in your back. My, my mother is Finn. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah. Okay. She, she threw the Upper Peninsula. What was her name? Mackie was her last name, uh-huh. and uh, her ancestors came from the Russia-Finland border just south of Lapland. Right. Mm-hmm. So do you carry some of this tradition with you? In, A little bit. In food it's, and it's, culture? It's, and... It's, it's coming back. Good. Me, yeah. We're re- rediscovering our roots. That's great. That's great. Well, Joseph is um, he's a chef. He's a chef teacher. He does classes in the area, and... Um, he also works at the food co-op right now, I think. I do. Yeah. I do. He's getting to know all the local farmers, and he's pretty excited about that. I handle their product when it comes in the back door. Um, I am a grunt in the produce kitchen. I, I take parsley out of a box and put it on a shelf. Well, I would like a little bit more information about that. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I'm on the plastic police group, Barocco Plastic Free, and we're really interested in how the produce comes in and how much plastic is it wrapped in and what do you have to do with the plastic to get rid of it. I remember the other day I went in and I said, how come you have iceberg lettuce wrapped in plastic? And 
The produce manager said, well, we could unwrap every uh, head for you if you want to feel better about what, you know, and so it's a challenge, isn't it, the food? Although, although you, you bring up a good point about iceberg lettuce, um, Linda Gallardo is the produce manager at the, at the co-op, and she very, very begrudgingly brings in iceberg lettuce. It's, it's her absolute least favorite lettuce, <laughs> but, but she needs something to fill those shelves in that span between we're not getting locally grown head lettuce, we're not getting faraway lettuce uh, that's affordable, and the dozen heads of iceberg fill that shelf until we're able to get someone who's, who's growing something local uh, head lettuce. Now, we still have... There's red leaf lettuce and green leaf lettuce and uh, yeah, romaine's romaine uh, and romaine heart. Where's that coming from? Uh, uh, that's that's relatively local, although she's got some some far away. And again, to your listeners, anyone who is in the Viroqua Food Co-op, if they're standing in the produce department and they want to know how, what, why, why not, um, why isn't this here, feel free to ask any of the staff there. Um, we'll get Linda, and she's happy to explain this is what we have and why. This is what we have coming in, and from whom. Um, February is a tough time. It's it very is. tough time. We're as as we sit here, we're looking out at, at sunshine. The Amish farmers who grow our leaf lettuce mix, um, they're grown in hoop houses. So the the toes of the lettuce are actually grown in the ground. This is not up up above in a raised bed, but it's a hoop house. The Amish heated can, heated with wood, mm -hmm. um, but no grow lights. So they need, the, uh, the Amish farmers need sunshine to be able to produce our leaf lettuce ah. and, and our spinach mixes. And uh, Linda is the administrator in the produce department, but she's also such an advocate and she's so tied to the, the farmers and their challenges. And she says a little prayer for sunshine every night when she goes to bed because without sunshine, we're not getting that, that kind of lettuce. But our local lettuce is phenomenal. It's amazing, and it's just getting better every year, the things that the Amish particularly are growing mm -hmm. in your greenhouses, so that we have greens a pretty large part of the winter. We and do we do have greens. At this time of year, you're going to see a lot more root crops, those that have been stored, um, and right. they're, they're, they're grown for their storage capabilities so that we can have um, some interesting and tasty squashes here in February. Right. So we're going to get down to that because I asked Joseph if we could talk about what, you know, if you want to buy local, you don't want everything coming from Mexico or California. Correct. What are the, what are the foods that are still here in storage or something like that or fresh? Um, in storage, certainly onions, potatoes, um, root crops, uh, carrots. We're still getting local carrots, which are, are pretty darn tasty. Um, and, and again, all of all of the squashes, and you need to broaden out your your culinary expertise and, and do a little more adventuresome cooking and steaming and roasting um, with with some of the local produce. Mm -hmm. So the carrots, parsnips. Carrots, parsnips. Are they come? Are they digging them now, or they have? They have been dug and have been stored. Oh, okay. Uh, and celeriac. Is, celeriac is and another one. Rutabaga and. Phenomenal radishes. If you're looking for something bright and fresh. Okay. Um, well, I hope we're going to cover some sure. ideas how to use these. Sure. 
just really fun. It, what what how nice that you're working at the co-op. Well, that's that's kind of a cool thing, you know. It, it is for you, me. You're I, getting to know all the farmers and CSAs I do. I am. and, and uh, where stuff comes from and just, you know, the the deeper questions of how to acquire stuff and when to decide just let's not buy it right now, you Indeed. know. Indeed. It's you know? it's interesting that you bring up CSAs. Um for your listeners, uh, a CSA is a community supported agriculture where you work directly with a farmer and you buy a share of their farm. What that in, uh, entails, uh, at this time of year, the farmers are strapped for cash. They just don't have cash to lay out for seed and for equipment. So they will sell you a share now, um, which, which you pay for, and then uh, you get, typically over the course of 20 weeks, you get a three-quarter bushel box of fresh produce once a week, every week for 20 weeks. And that that's how they pay you back for your purchasing that share. And they're sort of investing now because they could use the money now. Exactly. I um, really never thought about that. Thanks for bringing that up. Holistically, as a consumer, it connects you with the farmer. So you realize and you get a, your arms wrapped around the concept of this is a real person who was growing my food. This person is responsible for what's going on my table. And I want to financially support them. And, and financially, this is the time of year that they need the money. Um, they're, they're laying out uh, some pretty tall cash. Uh, Tiffany at, at Deep Rooted, who does a magnificent job of tomatoes of all kinds. Cherry tomatoes, grape tomatoes, heirloom tomatoes. Um, she's laying out money for seed. Um, she has sold all of her crop from from 2022 and and has no fresh cash to be able to do this so buying a share with her provides her with that uh, economic benefit um, Elena Wolf and her partner Sawyer at Growing Point Farms uh, are the very same way now they don't have expenses for equipment and fuel because 99.9% of what they do on their farm is done by hand um, they till by hand. They they harvest by hand. They don't have tractors, by by choice. Uh, regenerative soils, regenerative farming is what they are. Um, that that's their mission. But when you start working with someone like Sawyer and Elena, and you learn her chard and her lacinato chard or lacinato kale, and why it's so good. Um, you, you're, you're connected with them. Um, and buying a share um, re- really amplifies that connection between the consumer and the farmer. Food mm-hmm. doesn't come from a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, I, I sell it at the co-op, food comes from a farmer. That's why I have a farm show. Indeed. I think farming is connected with food. And it, it would be helpful if people understand that and really you know understand the whole how it gets to your grocery sure. store and sure. you know who did it who brought who you know picked it and who brought it here and the all number, the marketing challenges and storage challenges indeed the the number of hands that work on a particular crop before it comes to you as a consumer and if you take a look around uh, the the co-op um, other than bag salads, nothing is really wrapped in plastic. It's not two tomatoes on a plastic tray overwrapped with saran wrap and a sticker on it. These are tomatoes that Tiffany handpicked, literally handpicked, <laughs> hand sorted. It came to us. 
we hand sort it. We hand sort it by brightness, freshness, what's going to ripen today, what we need to sell today, what we can put on a shelf for tomorrow. Um, it's all done by hand. It's done with a critical eye with a consumer in mind. Because the consumer is the end product or the end, end user. We are end users, uh, the employees of the co-op. We're, we're pretty interested in what's coming in because I've got to go home and go. Pardon me, I've got to go home and cook for my beautiful patty. I may as well take her some beautiful tomatoes. I may as well take her some radishes that are big and bright and colorful and not sulfury because they've been handled appropriately. Um, oh, mm -hmm. okay. Well, let's start with radishes. I, I don't really like radishes, and I don't guess I don't know really how to use them. Um, start from when they first appear out of the ground. So... Some of our Amish farmers, and certainly um, Tiffany at Deep Rooted, do a sprout mix. Excuse me, microgreen mix. So these are not seeds that have sprouted on your kitchen counter. They are not sprouts. These have actually been planted in the ground, and when they are miniature plants, they are harvested. Right. They're about, what, two or three inches tall? If, if that. If, no. if that. If okay, that. but they're so, beyond sprouts. Correct. Mm -hmm. But because they've actually grown in the ground. So th there are boxes of microgreens. Um, there's a spicy mix. Um, and <laughs> in, in this community, spicy is an interesting term. Um, it, is, it is not spicy like uh, Tabasco spicy. It has, <laughs> it has some radish sprouts in it. It has some brassica sprouts in it that have a little... Some bitterness. Some, a, yeah. a, a bite to it. Mm -hmm. um, there, are also, there are also sunflower sprouts. There are radish I sprouts. I love those. Mm. And um, pea shoots. They're mm -hmm. immature uh, pea plants, and they embellish a salad, an omelet. They work into toppings for a salad. They're, they're awesome. Mm -hmm. So that's where you would start with radishes. Um, once they with, their, with the microgreen. <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah, okay. Once, once they're adults and they're harvested and... Uh, the farmers who can get them harvested, especially the redder radishes, if they can get them harvested before the heat, um, they don't get sulfury, okay. um, and they are they are sweet and bright. There are those radishes that come from the daikon family. Um, you think of the long, white, uh, snowy white when you slice them on the inside. Daikon, absolutely delicious. There's a red variety. There's a burgundy variety. There's one that you, you cut it open, and it looks like a beet. There are radishes grown um, for their color as well as their flavor. There are um, beauty heart. When you cut them open, um, the color on the inside goes from pink lavender to, to a very bright red with a green outer skin. Oh, and it, it's beautiful in a salad. It's, oh, it's yeah. just luscious in a salad. There's a watermelon radish um, that when you slice it open, it looks like the, a miniature slice of watermelon with the green on the outside and the red on the inside. So um, freshly sliced radishes over over buttered bread with a little pinch of salt, that, that's, oh, really? that's a meal in itself. That's, oh, that's really? lovely and awesome. Sure, okay. sure. And radishes store well. So there, there are radishes to be had. Um, if you approach a radish bin... And you think, I don't know, these things look black on the outside. That skin looks tough and inedible, and I don't know if I want to invest in that. Ask somebody to cut it open for you. Mm -hmm. Show me what it looks like on the inside. We're always offering tastes. You, you should be able to do that at any grocery store. I want to see what this looks like on the inside. Mm -hmm. 
And they aren't really tough on the outside. Nope. No. Nope. You eat the skin they, and everything. Yeah. Although the, the dark ones look um, dark like a, like a big old chestnut, but um, you, you can have somebody cut it open and taste it. Mm-hmm. And, and any, any produce department that doesn't allow you to taste their, their wares, I, or, or even at a farmer's market, um, may not be worth, worth your share. time. Absolutely. Uh-huh, right. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, radishes on buttered bread. Indeed. And what, what else do you do with radishes? You can, you can julienne slice all the radishes uh, and a mixture, which is really lovely. And it's not just the red and white ones, you, which, which are also delicious. But if you can mix in the beauty hearts and some of the daikon, the uh, mm-hmm. burgundy uh, radishes, um, you can toss them together with a very simple light vinaigrette um, with an, uh, an apple cider vinaigrette rather than a red wine vinegar. Um, very, very simple, lovely salad. Very refreshing, especially mm-hmm. if you're having a, a, a very heavy entree or a very heavy soup, to have a little bit of a fresh radish salad and top it with sprouts. Oh. Sure, with, with the microgreens. Or the microgreens, mm-hmm. right. So um, just give us a quick uh, little recipe for your vinaigrette. What are the proportions? Um, I'm tasting the vinegar first. Um, red wine vinegar, balsamic vinegar, apple cider vinegar, um, the white balsamic vinegar. Taste that and build off of there. Um, the other critical thing to me making vinaigrette is if I'm salting it, I'm adding vinegar and salt to the mixing bowl first so that the salt dissolves into the okay. vinegar. If you put the salt into the olive oil, it doesn't dissolve. All and, right. And you wind Thank up, you. You wind up with a texture that's like, what is what is that? That's kind okay. of a that's kind of a pastiness that I'm not happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm three parts oil to one part vinegar. I have, if I'm going to emulsify it, if I put it in a little shaker jar with a little uh, teaspoon of uh, French mustard and shake it all up, it stays as a mustard vinaigrette and mm-hmm. it stays emulsified. Um, but if you find a vinegar that you like mm-hmm. and simply simply sprinkled over your salad, if, if you have salad greens, vinegar goes first then olive oil. If you put the olive oil on the greens first and then put vinegar on it, the vinegar will slide off of the olive oil. And the very last thing is a coarse salt on top. Don't use, don't use Morton salt. Don't use iodized salt. Um, the uh, kosher salt mm-hmm. is, is better. Um, you get a nice uh, burst of salt flavor. So you have salt, you have salt in your vinegar that has dissolved. If I'm making a vinaigrette, mm-hmm. I put salt in it. If right. I'm just adding simple oh, just simple oil and vinegar, I will add salt last. Uh-huh. Salt is critical to salad because the Latin word sal is where we get the word salad. It no need, kidding. It needs to be salted. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Now, what is the point of grinding salt, getting coarser salt and then putting in a grinder? Is there any, any advantage? We'll go to the blue round of of Morton's iodized salt. That has been um, all ground and processed so that it's all relatively the same size. The product that it came from was a bigger, coarser salt, almost like almost like rock salt. Well, you can't put rock salt on top of a salad. You can put rock salt into your pasta water because it will dissolve. But on top of your salad, you don't want that big crunchiness. So it's nice to grind it at the very last minute to put on top of your salad. It adds a little cachet to it, um, mm-hmm. 
having said that, I'm always amused when someone um, talks to me about sea salt. Oh, you have to use sea salt. And I smile at them and think, um, all salt is sea salt. It all originated from the sea. If there was no sea, there would be no salt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the refined salt, uh, that Morton salt in a round, in a, that blue round. Um, that's the last salt that I reach for. Um, I also don't want the iodine that's in there because it does have a taste to it. Um, on the other end of the pendulum swing would be some of the flaked salts, the maldones, um, the pink Himalayan salt, which is lovely as a finishing salt, but to stir into a vinaigrette, probably not. Oh. Mm-hmm. Pro- probably not. And the flake salt, what do you use that for? Um, it's... it. <laughs> When you have a, a simply grilled dish and you want the uh, visual appeal of that Maldone salt, it's it's one way to show off that that you know your salts. Um, it it tastes just like oh. salt. It just has a visual. Is appearance. that what we call fleur de sel? Indeed. Okay. Indeed. I got to go to um, the Mediterranean a couple of years ago and see them manufacturing salt, pulling it off of foam. They were harvesting it. They were harvesting. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of concerned about our plastic problem, though. And I'm sure the salt industry doesn't want you to know that <laughs> because there's salt, there's plastic everywhere in the ocean. So, But I was thinking maybe, you know, the older salts, like Himalayan salt, you know, mm-hmm. like you say it was a sea at yep. one time. But it does have minerals in it. It does. And um, it's an old salt. Old it salt. is, and you can tell because it is, in fact, pink mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. from the minerals. Mm-hmm. Would that be from the, the shells of the uh, animals? or? Let's go with that. That sounds Let's like go a good that. idea. Oh, that sounds pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I am talking with Joseph Meyer. He lives a little bit south of here, in between Seneca and Eastman. And gosh, I've forgotten, Joseph, where you moved from. I, came, I came from um, Chicago area. Okay. Okay, and so he he's just, you know, loves the Driftless, and boy, he's, he's really taken to it, and his and his friend Patty. They yep. love living here. We do. And he's really thrown himself into this, and he, he just just loves the, um, the, the fishing that's here, the local vegetables, and, you know, just the wonderful crops, the Amish people, um, food co-op, and people who've made all this happen, the, the um, CSAs and all the people who have the courage to come out here and grow food. It's hard. Oh, it's this hard. is hard it work. Is, it is a leap of faith to be able to do what these farmers do. And when they choose to expand on their operation, that's even more of a leap of faith. That's just a financial commitment. And um, that my, my, my admiration goes out to, to all of them. Yeah, um, yeah. Me- meeting them, meeting the farmers, uh, at the back door of the co-op, and I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do that, but meeting them at the Viroqua Farmers Market and um, the markets that they have in Madison and in Prairie du Chien and La Crosse, you, you really get a sense of who these people are, their, their absolute passion. Um, they live their mission. Um, when you work with uh, Jillian and Adam at Small Family Farm, they literally live their mission. Um, they, their, their heart and soul is in it. Um, the, when it when it rains in the summer and you think oh good 
it's going to rain, farmers' crops are going to grow, they're going to be happy. Um, the rain also nourishes the weeds, <laughs> and they grow right along with the crops. So there's, <laughs> there, there's good and bad with rain, and, and you share some of their angst at, at having, having weeds, knowing that they're not, they're not going to spray them. They're not going to put a chemical on it. I know this is the whole idea of organic. People think, oh, organic was well, more, more expensive, and that's just, you know, they want to get more for it. It's a lot of work to, to weed and to keep, you know, to keep your crops going without um, weed killers, the, without chemicals. The, so. the farmers that start with their, um, their seed savers, um, where does their seed come from? They, mm -hmm. they care. They care a lot. Mm -hmm. um, they have to pay more for that seed to be able to do that. So the, the price for their finished product um, is is pennies per oh. serving over something that was commercially grown, pesticide sprayed, uh, herbicide, nematicide, all of, all of the things that you don't know go into your body that go into your body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also think about the farmer's market. You know, when you go there, I mean, the produce looks so nice. They have been up the, the day and night before Harvesting, yep. cleaning, yep. washing the lettuce, spinning it, washing the roots, sorting them out, the knobby carrots separated from the really mm -hmm. nice smooth ones, just and all this work. Then they get up really in the morning, get this stuff. I mean, some of it probably needs to be packed in ice and coolers and then go sure. set up at the farmer's market and stand there for sure. four hours. And then somebody wants to dicker with them a in, little bit. In the on, elements. Uh, and you go, oh my gosh! And I look at some of the, you know, cabbage and lettuce, and think I just can never grow it like they're growing it. So, you know, we want to just really appreciate what when, they do. When when you when you work with one of the growers uh, at the farmers market, um, developing a relationship with them is key. Um, knowing uh, what they have, what's coming, what's what's in the pipeline for next week. Um, and we, we talked about this the first time I was here, but we're, we're going to go over it again. If you are uh, canning tomatoes um, at 8 o'clock in the morning when you approach a tomato grower, that's probably not the best time to look for a deal. Um, they have the rest of Saturday during the day. They have the rest of the day to sell their tomatoes at full price. The last thing a farmer wants to do or a producer wants to do is take something off of the table that they couldn't sell and put it back in their truck and take it back home. Exactly. <laughs> the close of the market probably is a better time to try and make a deal. But dealing is not what the market is about. No, dealing it is, isn't. If, if you want to get produce at a, a bit of a sweeter deal, invest in a CSA. You'll, you'll, get, you'll get more bang for your buck. Right. Um, having, getting that, that box every week um, it's it's like the the Food Network show Chopped. Every time you open up a box, it's like, oh, look at this! I have no idea what to do with this. Um, <laughs> and they usually provide recipes, they don't do. they? They do. Almost all and, the CSAs. And you can shoot recipes. them an email and saying, hey, I got three bulbs of her heads of kohlrabi. What what am I going to do with these? <laughs> and, th and then you try it and you think, wow, I'm th th this is pretty darn good. Or you discover, you know what? I've tried kohlrabi a couple of different ways. It's not for me. And mm -hmm. then you can share that with your with your farmer that you have developed a relationship with. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, you don't like this kohlrabi? Have you tried celeriac? 
I've tried celeriac and it's okay. Well, have you shredded it and steamed it and mashed it in with your mashed potatoes? Ooh, really? Now I'm a lover of celeriac in my mashed potatoes. <laughs> um, um, simply peeled and cubed up and put into a stew. It's okay. It's fine. But um, added to my mashed potatoes, oh boy, big time. Oh, great idea. Big fun. And what, it, what can you do with the kohlrabi? Um, what part do you eat even? It's it's the bulb part. Um, and I learned from uh, from Marjorie at uh, Cedar Moon Farms to shred them and make uh, kohlrabi fritters with carrots and onions. And they're delightful. Oh. And they, so you shred them. Correct. They don't need much peeling mm-hmm. at all, the way celeriac would or parsnip would. Right. Gee, I, I had a question, and it popped right out <laughs> of my head. Um, yeah, so, yeah, kind of knowing what's what's out there right now or what, what would be on the shelves at the co-op or the grocery store that would be fairly local seasonal. So uh, let's go back to squash, okay. um, especially if you got a pie pumpkin or if you got sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. I am so sick to death of baking sweet potatoes. My family has had it up to here with baked sweet potatoes because I've been doing that all fall. Well, if you were to peel them and steam them and mash them, so you just have an unflavored, unseasoned sweet potato mash and put that in a soup pot with uh, a couple of great big heaping tablespoons of smooth peanut butter and then a can of uh, canned pumpkin not pie filling that has been spiced and seasoned just canned pumpkin pureed pumpkin pureed pumpkin peanut butter mashed sweet potatoes simmer that with a little bit of butter and a little bit of chicken stock if you are vegetarian if you added vegetable stock you'd be just fine Mm -hmm. and you have a peanut butter pumpkin soup so mm, if you're really nice. if you have an elegant dinner party and you serve this and it's brilliantly orange it's just lovely if you're serving your peanut butter pumpkin soup um if you have a cappuccino maker you can froth milk and top it with froth milk and it's just ethereal and lovely and it just <laughs> elevates it okay. you can charge more for it um if you're serving it to kids who like peanut butter you can hand them a bowl of popped popcorn and they can garnish their peanut butter pumpkin soup with popped popcorn and they think this is just the neatest <laughs> thing ever. So that that's one of the things that you can do with, if you've got a pie pumpkin, you can peel it and cook that down. Um, if that's not your thing, a can of organic pumpkin puree. Again, mm-hmm. not not pie filling. Right. right but exactly. But peanut butter pumpkin soup, it's just awesome. Lovely. Mm-hmm. How do you like to just, you know, when you take a whole squash, how do you like to cook it? Depends on the squash. Mm-hmm. Um, delicata squash, I cut it into rings and roast it. Um, and Can you leave the peel on? Absolutely. Delicata. You eat it? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, when it's 90% done in the oven, I'll brush it with a mixture of uh, maple syrup and cayenne pepper. So that, that gives it a nice little... Mm-hmm little tang, a little whisper to it. Um, again, I have to be careful with cayenne and and this community with spicy things, but mm-hmm. a little cayenne's not going to hurt you. Um, we have a seminal squash 
now at the co-op that stores very well. It has a thicker skin, but it is pre-lobed. Um, and for your listeners, I'm holding my hands in a, in a, in a basketball shape, mm-hmm. but it's pre-lobed. You can cut that Seminole squash right down the lobes. It'll show you exactly where to cut, and you might get 12 or 16 wedges out of it. Roast the wedges. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's pretty delightful. Mm-hmm. And how would you kind of garnish that? Um, that I would leave rather simple. Uh, mm-hmm. Earlier in the year, we had these red curry squashes that that were so so lovely and so sweet and flavorful that they didn't need need much. My my Polish patty, uh, a little pat of butter never hurt anything, so that, <laughs> that, that was her way to do it. Um, the butternut squashes that you have, if you can peel and cube those, roast those in an oven with um, salt and pepper and a little olive oil. Mm-hmm. Um, they start to brown up and they start to get uh, pretty aromatic. Those I fold into my risotto, and I make butternut squash risotto out of those. I did that in one of my classes, and it was just very, very awesome. It melts into the rice as you're stirring it, uh, coloring the rice as well. But roast, roasted cubes of butternut squash, lovely. Okay, so you're starting your risotto... And you're adding your liquid to it. Correct. And then you add the pieces of squash? Or You've added the roasted squash cubes to it mm-hmm. and, and start stirring. So you can roast, you can cut a couple of butternut squash into cubes, toss them with olive oil, salt and pepper, roast them in the oven, um, freeze them in individual containers. Hmm. Take them out of the freezer, add them to your risotto. And as I explained to my cooking students when we were doing the roasted butternut squash risotto. This is the George Michael recipe of risotto. You got to have faith. You got to have faith that this is going to melt down into the rice, and it does. Risotto takes 29 minutes to cook, and 27 minutes into it, you're like, you know what? He was right. It all melted in, (laughs) and it it colors and flavors the rice, Mm -hmm. and it's lovely. The garnish on top of that um, is worth making the risotto itself. Garnish on top of that is a brittle made from pumpkin seeds, brown sugar, and bacon fat instead of butter. So bacon fat, pumpkin seeds, and um, cayenne pepper. So you have a, a, mm. a, a pumpkin seed brittle to go on top of your mm-hmm. pumpkin risotto, which oh is lovely. Yeah. yeah, big fun. And vitamin A all up and down the way. Yeah. Well, I, it, it's making me think. I mean, uh, Joseph, Joseph Meyer, whom I'm talking to, he, he is a teacher, and he does do classes. So so give us an idea of what your classes are that are coming up and what kind of things you do with your students. All of, all of our classes are on um, our website, LatarniaGuestHouse.com. Um, I've got uh, a cocktail and hors d'oeuvre <laughs> class. That'll be an awful lot of fun. Um, and as I mentioned the, the first time that I was here, I like recipes that have minimal amount of ingredients. And mm-hmm. if you have fewer ingredients, you have to use better quality ingredients. Um, there is one hors d'oeuvre that I make that entails absolutely one ingredient, and, and that's it. If you go to um, Sarah Clemens at Noble Rind or go talk to Macy at the co-op and ask for her best Parmesan cheese, mm-hmm. um, don't get it in a green can by the block of it. And this is the one time that you'll take your Parmesan cheese and 
not grate it, but you will shred it. You want the shreds of Parmesan cheese. You lay down a piece of parchment paper on a cookie sheet, and you put a pile of the shreds on there and kind of spread it out, and you'll get a feeling for what what a six-inch circle of Parmesan cheese shreds looks It'll like. It'll be kind of lacy. It mm-hmm. will be lacy, mm-hmm. er- ergo the shreds. Into a 375-degree oven for four or five minutes, and it all melts, but it retains some structure. Mm-hmm. It'll look like a mess until you take it out of the oven and you let it set up, and it becomes this lacy, tweel kind of Parmesan chip. <laughs> to garnish uh, a soup or a salad uh-huh. with, um, to, to nibble on with drinks. It is mm-hmm. one ingredient. Don't use cheap Parmesan cheese. Don't use Romano. Don't use Asiago. It has too much of a... Uh, too much fat. Um, oh. Asiago is too moist, mm-hmm. and it doesn't melt right. Uh, Romano is too salty because it's it's a sheep smoked cheese that's that's heavily salted. Parmesan is just, just the way to go. And again... Mm-hmm. Um, make friends with your cheesemonger. Say, hey, I'm making Frico, F-R-I-C-O. What Parmesan should I mm-hmm. use for that? Mm. that? That's a one ingredient appetizer. Yeah, that's that, not that hard. That's pretty cool. Um, if you're using cheddar, you can shred the cheddar. Again, shred, not great. And shred your own. Don't buy it shredded. Um, toss it with a tablespoon of, of just all-purpose flour, just a little bit of flour. Mm-hmm. Cheddar melts at a different rate. Cheddar has a different fat content. But when it sets up, when it cools, it becomes crispier. Um, love it. Absolutely love it. It's just it's just the most simple thing with, with, with cocktails. Great. Now, what do you mean, shred it, don't grate? I wouldn't know the difference. Um, what kind of a tool do you use? Picture your box grater, mm-hmm. your tall four-sided box grater. One side has the, the narrow side has the slicing apparatus that you never should use. Um, one has uh, one of the broader sides has a grater that reduces the cheese to a powder, more of a snow texture. Oh, okay. On the That's other, a grater. Okay. On the other side, um, bigger holes, and when you run the cheese down, it shreds it. Okay. It, it goes into shreds. Okay. So that, that's the side of your box grater that you want to use. Okay. Um, the grating part, when we're doing um, the pastas of Rome, cacio e pepe, you want to that... Romano to melt into the pasta, so that needs to be grated. It means needs to be a much smaller uh, format. Um, shredding it doesn't. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. I have heard that when you have Parmesan cheese, it gets too hard. That you can put it in soup and you can just use put the whole you know chunk in. If if you have is, a is that true? if you have a piece of Parmesan and you've um, grated or shredded most of it and you're left with just the rind mm-hmm. that's what you're using to flavor your minestrone soup with mm-hmm. just put the whole rind in there yeah. it's just awesome that interesting it's really yeah. lovely um another very simple and very straightforward appetizer that we're teaching in our uh, cocktails and hors d'oeuvres class um i learned from uh, giada di laurentis if you have a can of cannellini beans um and this is one of the opportunities to use a can of beans rather than cooking your own. Cooking your own does not enhance this recipe at all. Mm. It, it's a pain to do. Just <laughs> just take a can of beans. It's drain, open that, drain that. That goes into a food processor with a couple of cloves of garlic, a handful of parsley. You don't even have to chop it. Um, a squeeze of lemon. And you start running the food processor and you drizzle in a little bit of olive oil until you get your 
Beans almost pureed. You want to have some texture in it. Um, you pour it into a bowl and then you let it chill. That's it. It's it's the most beautiful white bean garlic dip, and um, it turns brilliantly flecks of green with with the uh, parsley that's in there. There are those who um, the the two parsley camps: flat Italian parsley and the curly parsley. I don't know why curly parsley fell out of favor. It has a, a, a sweet, lovely, distinctive flavor. Flat Italian parsley, a little bit of it goes a long way. Too much of it, and it gets astringent. Um, curly parsley is just fine with with that. Mm-hmm. So those those are the appetizers that we're doing. Um, we did a... Oh, what do you dip in your dip? Um, I bake pita chips. Just just take pitas, okay. cut, cut them into wedges, toss them a little olive oil, salt, and pepper. Mm-hmm. And that that works really well. I had my uh, my my breakfast class. No more boring breakfasts. And mom, <laughs> two of the moms who showed up, uh, I refer to them as moms because one had a nine-year-old, one had a six-year-old. Who came to class? Who came to oh, class? Oh, okay. So okay, now we've got little ones. We changed the format just a little bit, make it a little more kid-friendly. Uh, Patty got them um, plastic gloves to work with, and in a big mixing bowl. In goes a, a pound of, of ground pork. Um, and if you can find it 80, 20, the fattier, the better on this one. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a pound of ground pork, and then we sprinkle in uh, a couple of teaspoons of dried sage and a couple of teaspoons of salt, um, black pepper, and a quarter teaspoon of interest. There are two sweet items in here, marjoram, uh, ground cloves, and if you wanted to, a little bit of maple syrup, but you don't necessarily need to. And the two little girls squished, squished all the it. Oh, squished, squished it all oh, together. My and then, as long as their hands were all all sticky and gooey, Patty pulled out the tortilla press that we made, and the girls were making breakfast sausage patties. And they're like, "This is just the coolest thing ever. This is even better than Play-Doh." So we've got our homemade breakfast sausage patties, which we fried up in toasted buns and made breakfast sliders. Well, on top of the breakfast slider goes a little bit of scrambled eggs and some of the uh, microgreens from Deep Rooted went on top. Mm-hmm. And just to dress those a little bit, we did a maple vinaigrette. Again, maple syrup, apple cider vinegar, olive oil, salt, pepper. So big old breakfast slider. These girls had just the best time. But making making your oh, making your boring. making your own breakfast sausage is easier than you would imagine, and you can form it into patties. Um, you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to to make it into links. And for your listeners um, on our website, I'll add a couple of these recipes on there. They'll have to scroll down through the cooking classes to find it, but but we'll put it on there. Mm-hmm. Um, last time I was here, we talked about pasta chips. Did you make those pasta chips? No, I didn't. Oh, let's go over that Ooh. again. So if you have penne, uh, mm-hmm. dried pasta, mm-hmm. um, this is the one time in your life that you are going to overcook the pasta. <laughs> Look at the directions on the package. If it mm-hmm. says uh, boil for 10 minutes, boil it for 14. Mm-hmm. You want it abundantly soft. Drain it when it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, put it on a cookie sheet with a little olive oil so it doesn't stick together. Throw it in your refrigerator. When you're ready in a small Dutch oven of a neutral oil, canola oil, corn oil. A um, couple of inches of that, get that up to temperature, 350, 375. 
then you're taking your cooked penne, your overcooked penne, and you're deep frying it in the oil <laughs> until it gets until it gets brown, and it it does get very crunchy. Um, pull it out with a slotted spoon or a or a spider. Dry it on paper towels or a a brown paper bag and sprinkle it with uh, grated Romano, and it's. It it is a two ingredient two, <laughs> two ingredient appetizer. It's it's cooked pasta and romano. If you have parmesan, use parmesan. That nobody's going to go to jail if you do that. But people <laughs> love it. Men men just eat it like popcorn. Um, oh, kid kids are not afraid of it because it's recognizable. Okay, that's a pasta that I've had at school, mm-hmm. and there's nothing funky on it, so I'm able to eat it. I don't have to dip it in anything, so I can just enjoy it on its own. So that's fun, and you need to make that. Okay. You'll have a good time. <laughs> go do my homework. You should. Um, the we're doing. We we had our four pastas of Rome class, which we had a lot of fun doing. And then and I I do enjoy cooking those and eating those. But I left out because there was no theme to these three pastas other than these are the three pastas that I really like to eat. So I'm going to teach how to cook them. <clears throat> One is um, an orchietti with Italian sausage and broccoli. Orchietti is the Italian word for little ears. Ear? It lo- ear? they, they look like little ears, and you, you may have to go to a larger market to find them. But um, the dried orchietti, in the time it takes to boil those, you're browning up a pound of Italian sausage. And if you want hot Italian sausage, that's fine. If you want it mild, that's fine too. If you bought mild and you want it hot, add red pepper flakes. And brown it severely in the pan so you develop a crust. Mm-hmm. You develop a fond. Um, when your pasta is three minutes from being done, add a double handful of chopped up broccoli. You can chop up the stems. You can chop up the flower flowerets as well. That can cook in the water with the pasta. Okay. When the pasta is done, you can take a spider or a slotted spoon and dip it all out of the boiling water right on top of your sausage, the added pasta water will dissolve the fond. It will deglaze the bottom of the pan and become the sauce. So you've got the starchy, salted pasta water with the orchietti and the broccoli that's perfectly cooked on top of all of this brown sausage. That's a meal right there. That, wow. that I love. Oh, very nice. And that that's one recipe that I sure will put on the on the website because uh, that's one of the ones that I'll be teaching. That might be a good way to smuggle in broccoli Indeed. for people who don't Indeed. like it. Yep. <laughs> I, I just want to take a break and say that you're listening to WDRT Community Radio coming from Verroqua, Wisconsin, 91.9 FM, streaming live on the Internet at WDRT. Dot org where you can listen to this. I have been just taking notes as fast as I can. I'm going to re-listen She's to my drooling. own show <laughs> and learn from it. Um, so many ideas. I've been talking to Joseph Meyer, and uh, he's in the middle of talking about his favorite pasta recipes. So, um, let, let me give you one more. Yeah. Um, I love to eat this, but I also love this story. Um, this is this is pasta puttanesca. Um, you can use long pasta, spaghetti, bucatini, linguine, fettuccine, if you want. You can use short pasta, like like penne, if, if you mm. want as well. The interesting thing is the sauce. Um, couple of, and it's all legend and lore, and it depends on who you believe. Um, the Italian ladies of the evening um, would 
either. One school says that this was a dish that they could whip together with all pantry ingredients, and it didn't take a lot of time and effort, and they were able to do that. The other theory is it's so aromatic when you are preparing it that they would prepare it and put it in the window to attract customers. <laughs> um, so the, the Italian word for working lady is puttanesca. Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in a large skillet, because you're going to put pasta on top of it, in a large skillet with an abundant amount of olive oil and um, sliced garlic, a lot of garlic and sliced, not minced, because you're going to cook down the garlic, so you want it to have, have some heft. Olive oil, garlic, drained capers that come out of a jar that come from your pantry, um, rinsed and drained black olives, uh, a big squeeze of anchovy paste, if you can find it in the tube. If, if not, three or four or five fillets from a can with its oil, it will melt into the sauce. No one will ever know that you're cooking with anchovies. It gives it an umami, umami. and a mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. So, and as, as many red pepper flakes as you want. I tend to my, like mine a little mm-hmm. fiery. Mm-hmm. Um, my beautiful Patty tends to like hers fierier. She, <laughs> re- she really reaches for the red pepper flakes. So you've got this aromatic base of olive oil, garlic, the capers, the black olives, and the anchovies. Black olives. Black Which olives? olives. Black olives. Just regular old black Pit, olives out of a can. Pitted Kalamata olives are the best. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. On top of that, you're putting in a can of diced tomatoes. Let that all simmer down. Um, it becomes a very spicy, very aromatic tomato sauce. It also is very salty with the capers and the olives. So you need to be careful about <laughs> cooking and the answer, cook, cooking your pasta in lightly, lightly salted water. Again, package directions say 12 minutes. You're going to cook it for 10. You're going to pull it out. It's going to seem hard. That's fine. It's not even al dente yet. Drain it. Put the not quite al dente pasta on top of all of your tomato sauce. Keep stirring it around. Let that simmer for another two or three minutes. As that pasta cooks in that tomato sauce, it'll absorb some of the liquid out of the sauce and it will continue cooking. Right there is 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 pasta puttanesca. If you want to doll that up, um, as you're plating it, you can put a little handful of fresh arugula, tuck it down in there, and you get another layer of spiciness that's not red pepper spicy, but it's it's a more astringent um, little burst of flavor. It, and if you're not an arugula fan, you can open up a can of uh, tuna and put flaked tuna in all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so plenty of plenty of aroma. Uh, your neighbors will know you're making puttanesca, as did the clientele of the ladies of the evening. Um, and mm-hmm. and put, puttanesca is is. Very easy to put together from pantry ingredients. I don't have to go out and buy something special for it. It doesn't have any parsley. It doesn't have any, oh, I forgot to bring this from the store. Mm. What you're pulling out of your pantry, capers, olives, anchovy paste, Mm. a can of tomatoes. You've you've got all that in your house. Yeah. Can you tell me why there are so many different kinds of pasta and why why you'd buy this and why you'd buy that? And is it, I mean. To, To my mind, there's. There's long pasta and short pasta. Um, when I did my four pastas of Rome, I, I try and honor the tradition that um, 
the the longer pastas work with with carbonara and they work with cacio e pepe. Um, I'm not going to go to jail if I make my carbonara with with penne um, rather than than linguine. There's there's some severe traditions, and even the Italians in in different regions of Italy will debate what pasta goes with what dish. Right. And oh my goodness, you can't use egg pasta with this. That's it's got to be semolina and water. Most most of the pastas in Rome are made from their dried pasta made from semolina and water, and that's it. No egg, no salt, no nothing. Semolina and mm-hmm. water. That's mm-hmm. that's their dried their dried pasta. One of the reasons they made dried pasta is that it traveled. It traveled well. So the the carbonara that we taught, that dish was uh, made famous by those workers who went up into the hillsides to cut down willow trees, start them on fire, burn them down, and then put them out with water. They were making charcoal. So the carbonari... Are the ones are the charcoal makers? Okay. The amount of pepper that goes into um, carbonara mimics the flakes of uh, of charcoal ash. Wow. Now, what is a carbonara? Carbonara is a pasta that is sauced with pasta water, cheese, uh, guanciale fat, and egg. What kind of fat? Guanciale. Guanciale is um, cured uh, cheek of. From, from a pig, um, you can substitute pancetta. Don't use bacon. Bacon is smoked. Mm-hmm. Um, so carbonara has, has those ingredients. Okay. If you were to substitute uh, tomatoes for egg, you would have a matrachana. If you were to substitute, if you did just guanciale fat cheese, um, you would have uh, grecia which is one of my favorite ones. Greasy is the Italian word for gray. There's a lot of black pepper in there, so it looks like the little flecks of gray pepper. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty cool. Cacio e pepe is the original one. Cacio is cheese. Pepe is pepper. It's the original macaroni and cheese. Macro- no. Macaroni and cheese comes from Rome. Yeah. But there is a way of melting the Romano cheese so it sauces into the pasta without clumping up, and the pasta is finished in a black pepper broth. So it's it's more than just ground mm. pepper on top of pasta. It's it's you're making a pepper broth and cooking the pasta in that. Wow. So do you ever make your own pasta? And is there a reason for doing that? Um, it's a lot of fun. It's silky. It's velvety. You need to be very careful with uh, how you sauce it, so that you're not killing, negating the the velvet texture, the toothsomeness that you've developed by making your own pasta. Um, it's very therapeutic. Um, those people who are in bad relationships tend to make bread and pasta because there's a lot of handwork and a lot of kneading and a lot of removing all of that angst. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, Joseph, I could talk to you for another hour, and it would be fun. And we'll have Joseph on again. I've been talking with Joseph Meyer from uh, around Seneca and Eastman, which is south of here. He can look down on the Mississippi River. He's got Latarnia bed and breakfast and a brand new sauna that you haven't even you haven't even <laughs> been in once yet. So they're dying to get back and try it out. And thanks so much, Joseph. That's lovely being with you. It really is. Oh, it's just great having you as a guest. And I just I just love look, cooking from you. And and there's classes, so you can go to his website. Give us your website. LatarniaGuestHouse.com. Okay. Come see me at the co-op. 
um, and we'll yeah, get great. we'll get we'll Philothea out um, at one of our cooking classes. <laughs> oh, I'd love it. So thanks so much to my listeners for tuning in to Who's in the Kitchen. We air on Saturdays at noon. The last Saturday of the month is Digging Deep, our farming show. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.